hello and welcome to the Bryce cast. This is episode nine. I know, I know, I've done two back to back, but I can't resist when you get good guests, okay? People have to talk to these geniuses of Call of Duty, and fortunately, they'll talk to me. So I'll be Bryce and I'll be bringing you all the action for this one. Thank you to everybody listening to this on Spotify and YouTube. Um, if you want to subscribe to the YouTube, please go ahead. I always do it at the end, but do it at the beginning here. First of all, my guest, though, Shawnee, how are you? I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing very well. As you can see from the recent <laughs> news, I'm doing pretty well. So, Yeah, the returning Raven. That's, like yeah. I said, you are... This is an interesting point, and, we will, and we've got so much to talk about. Like, so much to talk yeah. about, and we'll get it done as quickly as possible, because I don't like taking up people's time. But, Shawnee, like, last year, me and you spoke about, you know, just trying <laughs> to get onto a roster, trying to get a subspot anywhere, to the point now that you're not even involved in roster mania. Like, you're one of the first players to put that contract down and say, you know what, I'm already, I'm safe, I'm in a roster. How does that feel? Yeah, like you said, it's a big switch up from last year. Like, it feels good because last year, like I said, you know that I was messaging you a lot. Like, yeah. listen, man, I need help with this, I need help with this. I need franchises to want to, like, have me, blah, blah. And you helped me out quite a lot back then. And um, I, I finally got a sub spot back then and just walked my way up. But it's a complete 180 from last, <laughs> last year, pretty much. It's literally, literally the complete opposite. I reckon I was one of the last players to get signed last year. Now it's like I'm one of the first to get announced this year. It's like it's, it's just it's just weird like how it just flipped on its head in like a year. Yeah, I'm guessing it's like a big kind of stress relief thing, right? Because last year, obviously, yeah. you were looking at. I don't like to call challenges oblivion, but challenges is such a different world from being in the pro league right like it's such yes. a different kind of looking at everything from career to the stress it puts on you and your family to this year it must be just i can't even imagine how weird you must be finding it to sit there and go well 45 players have dropped and been released from teams and you're sitting there going i'm actually all right yeah like, <laughs> honestly mate, like, I, like I say i don't really know it's just a great feeling not having any stress because everyone says that everyone knows like we played MW like for the whole year it's obviously a stressful year yeah. whatever and then obviously you go straight into Ross Mania and then obviously the people are fighting for their spots which is pretty stressful like it's very stressful I can, I can tell you it's very stressful and um I, I don't wish it on anyone when like you're at the like try to get in and it's it's kind of like, I've been there I know how shit it is like, like well, I just the way I done I just took it took it on the chin took a sub spot and just walked my way back up that was like, what I had to do and that's what I done this year so it was good that it's actually worked out and uh, I don't need stress in this off season so hey man I'm all I'm all for it I am all for it for me it's like it's awesome to see somebody uh, like yourself just be like in this different situation because for me it kind of shows at least a maturity of the league or an evolution where people can go hey there is at least an example where we can say this player has managed to climb the ranks, come from a sub-spot on a roster where people weren't sure whether or not you were even going to get a shot this year. Yeah. Right? Like, that is a very real possibility yeah. when you were a sub-spot. So you got your shot. You got into it. You did a bloody good job, right? I mean, there were memes about you in construction going around everywhere. <laughs> that was funny. Um, to being one of the first signed this year. Like, that is a progression that some like in all the negativity that's gone on right because it has been a horrible few weeks yeah it's such a nice story to hear to see that somebody you know has like yourself managed to turn it around and get yourself in a great position yeah it's like like i said before what i touched on it's just it's even it's more sweeter for me because i was literally at the bottom at the start of this year and then I finally, like, it could have easily been Madcat that they wanted instead of me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But me and Madcat are both solid players in the last couple of years that we've both proven we can play at the highest level. 
it could have easily been him. It could have easily just been like my kid, do you want to come over? But I got the chance to like prove myself once again. And like I said, I just I put my head down and just put the put the work in, man. There was like there was nothing else to it. I just came on, made sure I put the time in during scrims and after scrims and yeah, I thought, I'm glad that people noticed it. So I'm in a good spot now. So it's awesome. And I'll tell you what, we'll go more into that in a little bit because there's plenty to talk about about your year and, and what you kind of experienced this year. But I have to go uh, back a little bit and, and talk about a few other things. Like, first of all, I kind of want to just get your feelings on Rostermania because, like I said, you're outside of it. You are on this team by yourself now. I kind of want to, and, and some of these subjects, like I said, some of these subjects we will touch. Some of them are we won't touch because we don't want to damage anyone else in the community. Um, so if you are asking certain questions, chat, just please ask, understand that it is a very tense time now for the Call of Duty community, and we don't really want to cost anyone their jobs. Um, but saying that, Shawnee, the, one of the craziest roster manias to ever see, where 45 players have dropped into that free agent pool. What's your take on it? Honestly, man, it's like... There's going to be a lot of good players that aren't going to get in. Everyone knows that. Like you said, is it 45 players? Is that the exact number? Least, yeah. yeah, I think at least. At least yeah. Roughly, I'd say it roughly. That is like that is crazy. Like 45 players from this year's league is not going to be playing next year. Yeah. Like when you actually just think about that, like how many people, like... Yeah. I don't know, man. I, think, I feel I think, like... I think it works out, like, there are... I think it's 24 less slots on a on a roster or sub spot because it went down from 5v5 to 4v4 and I believe yeah, it's man. gone from two subs to one. And that doesn't include, obviously, the teams that had more subs. So 45 have gone free agent, 24 at least probably won't be back. It's it's crazy, yeah. right? That's like half of the free agents currently may not it's, be playing. Yeah. Let's say it just it causes like, a few problems. It's like now the amateurs have been grinding for a whole year. To, like when is everything in the amateur circuit, like team war and whatever, like and now it's like they've got an extra 30 players that were on the pro level last year coming down and putting more competition on them. Don't get me wrong, like it obviously gives them more competition so they get better, getting a make better chance to like get in a team next year. But yeah. at the same time, they just put in that the amateurs just worked hard for a whole year for a chance to get in the pro league, and now it's they just got told, oh, it's cut, like the league's like getting shorter. So, well, throwing down some of these pros down here, so good luck. Like, I think it's pretty shit for them, yeah, for the most part. Obviously, it's shit for the like, pro players who had it and coming down, but I feel like in the next year, like, I feel like it's gonna. I'm assuming it's going to expand. Like, I feel like they're going to have to at this point because it went backwards and now they'll probably just wait a year and then go forwards again. Um, it's just I'm a, they have to like, invest in the challenges. If they're doing this, like what they have right now, like the 4v4, and they have to, like, I feel like the challenges have to be like twice as what they were this year. No, I, people, I, I couldn't yeah. agree more, Shawnee. I, I genuinely couldn't agree more. And I think, I think from your point of view as well, you understand that. You understand like that how negatively seen it is to be just outside challenges it's like how yeah. much more difficult life is not being in the professionals like it's hard to build your brand and you are right about the amateurs this year like team war who did an incredible job winning so much in europe and doing it's hard right and i will come out and say it it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to see none of them get their pro shot oh none i can i can almost guarantee you right now like not from what i know just like from the fact that 40 players like you say are coming down there's no way out of those forty pros, they're going to want like a challenger player. It's just, it's just facts. It's not going to happen, and um, it's pretty shit because like what War did. Don't get me. I have like friends back in Europe. Obviously, I yeah. mostly talk to like Wee Man and like that from back in Europe. I yeah. think they're a solid team and stuff. But like War consistently done it. They consistently. Like, this game is hard to be consistent. Like the pros proved that. It's very hard to be consistent in this game. 
and they done it, so, or, or, even though it was online, they still done it. So I feel like they did deserve somewhat of a chance. But now that this has happened, it's, there's there's zero chance that any of them get in the league this year. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's unfortunate, but I just think it's facts. I think they need to like, just acknowledge that and just hope for the best. Like, hopefully next year they add more spots, and hopefully this year the challengers is been more money invested <laughs> yeah. in it. Yeah, it should be because there's a lot of pros coming there, and more personalities, more fans want to see the challengers. So I'm assuming yeah. they're going to invest more into like actually getting a stream and like putting more into it. So. Yeah, and I think right. So we have to we have to talk about this because obviously it has become a little bit better recently. And I know the Waskins versus Assault drama, or what's uh, you know Assault versus the Marshall Brothers drama, has kicked off. And we spoke about this before we came live, and we said, "Look, we want obviously on this podcast we always try to be honest and bring stuff to the light." But that is a drama. That is a lot of flaming going on, and it is a very mm. negative thing for the timeline. And like you said, we don't want to cost anyone their jobs. Um, I, I just ain't feeling. I just ain't feeling any of the, any of that fire. Like those, I'm just gonna leave it. Leave it at that. Yeah. Like people, if people from Twitter can see what's on Twitter and, and judge like, and believe what they want to believe, that's just leave it at that because yeah. it doesn't affect me. And um, yeah, I'm just not gonna like, involve with that. It's like there's always two sides to a story, and so yeah. No, I understand that. Like I said, you know, I, you see these sides of it come out and you're not 100% certain what is the truth. And then everyone says, you know, there are three sides to everything. There'll be one person's side, the other, and then the truth will be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, it, it's horrible to think of that it has come to that, that people are airing dirty laundry on the timeline and then it has already got a little bit snippy. And the thing that bothers me the most is I know that, you know, from what everything we see on the timeline, 100 more things are probably happening in the background. Yeah, that's just like the tip of what's actually happening. Like, yeah. not not with like that situation, just in general. This whole roster mania. Like, there's just so much shit. There's like so much moving pieces going on that no one knows about. Like, the CDL Intel obviously gets like quite a few. bits right. Let's be yeah. honest. Like, he obviously gets some gets it from somewhere. Yeah. But like at the same time, he is still pretty late to like deliver that news. So like all that shit's already happening. Then there's already some something else in the works, and then something else in the what It's just. WrestleMania in off season is just mental, mate. It's such a Royal Rumble, especially when you're cutting people outside of the league. Like you're cutting them out of it. Like you're basically telling people if you don't get this sorted or do this, then you're going to lose your job. So people are going above and beyond to try and keep their jobs. Yeah. And it's like I don't blame them. Obviously, it's just it's causing a bit of you know space in the timeline. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> no, I fully, <laughs> I fully, I fully understand. I fully understand that ridiculous. Like, I, and it's a horrible situation, right? Because being at the top competitive level is never easy. Wait, just before yeah. I go into this, there is a slight tangent. Just realised I'm wearing the same t-shirt as I was yesterday. It's because I'm having a shower after the show before the YouTube <laughs> comments come in. It's fine. I've got some stuff to do afterwards. I'm having a shower. But no, so competitive like is difficult in terms of being at the top, the pressure you'll put under the fans. There are expectations of you. And now, with this added caveat of maybe you didn't have a good year, now you're worried whether or not you even have a job next year. Because some of these pros don't have a strong brand. They don't do an awful lot of content outside of the league. They don't know if they want to even go into challenges to compete because right now we don't know the format, what's happening with challenges next year. Is it going to be better? Bearing in mind, challenges wasn't even streamed for the first half of this yeah. year, right? And you're sitting there going as a pro yeah. player going, holy crap, how the hell do I earn my way back? Um, and now you're going, well, I had, a get I had a contract. I was in a league and now potentially nothing potentially nothing but you got to start again from the beginning and just sit there and go holy crap how do i do it's anything hard. here right it's hard man this, this has been one of the roughest years of my life like no i'm not just exaggerating it like with covid and 
being back home watching the league, like being in my bedroom where I was grinding when I was 16 to get to the Pro League, getting to the Pro League for three years in a row and then missing out on the franchise year because I had like a off back end of Black Ops 4. Like I just, it just it hurts you. Like having a rough end of a game, like just rem- everyone thinks, oh, that guy's not that good or this, that, this guy's not that good. They don't remember the last three years of you, you competing. Yeah. It's just always been the same. You're only as good as your last match. And for some reason, people stick by that a lot. And um, it's, like I said, the, cha- the challenges is just, it's, it's a rough area, but like, I don't see why people like, would not want to take part in it to like, come back. Yeah. I know it's rough, but it's, do- it's doable. I'd, I'm not trying to say, oh, I've done it, blah, blah. But I'd, I'd, I was at the bottom this year. Like, yeah. I was playing with people, obviously all great players, like fucking um, Wee Man and Mad Cat and all that, like Nolson. Yeah. But it's like, I was still, compared to where I was, I was, I was near the bottom. And I was, like I said, back in my room where I was playing when I was like 16, trying to get a pro to a pro level. I was back there. I essentially took two, a couple steps back to that situation. And I just had to like suck it up and just put the work in. So um, that's all I can say for like, anyone who's in the same situation. Like, just go back and put the work in. It'll, people will notice it. Like, it will come through. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Like, bearing in mind, hopefully there'll be expansion next year. I know a lot of people talked about it. So there will be more slots available. And people who are maybe make the league this year may not make it next year because, yeah. you know, I have said, I think some people during the year probably didn't deserve to be in the league and, and managed to kind of get their way in. And franchises were a little bit hesitant to maybe play loose and fast with their, with their rosters as much as they should have done. So it'll yeah. be very interesting moving forward in that kind of regard to see how it all kind of plays out. But no, I, I completely agree, Shawnee. You know, it's, it's one of these things where challenges is daunting, but at the same time you're competing. And if you have been sensible yeah. with your money from the pro league, you'll probably be okay for a year. To get yourself back into you know another big contract the year after. Um, I want to talk about then. Let's let's start talking about you, Shawnee. Um, I'm going to ask you about Cold War towards the end because obviously you've played it, you've got hands on. But yeah. let's talk a little bit about you. Um, start of this year, obviously you've already said you were at the bottom, and it was a a difficult time for you. What was your what were your feelings going through that period? You know the the franchise roster mania, the trying to get through and actually figure out your next move because like i said not a great ending to black ops 4 for yourself and that and people's stock is is it's a roller coaster a lot of the time mm-hmm. um yeah. so what were your feelings like in that franchise period um honestly there was a lot of like um frustration at the start so like, i thought like don't get me wrong i'm saying that you shouldn't feel like you you can't go back and grind but i feel yeah. like i shouldn't have been in that situation even though that like, i had like one or two bad events at the back end yeah but it got to the point where the realization set in when I was asking. I was like, I've said this in a podcast before. Like, it was the champs run was sweet because I was asking your your Toronto's. I was asking you know Marky B. I was asking fucking New York. I was asking <clears throat> I was asking loads of friends. Even Paris, that's a team I forgot. So I was asking all them the people that I knew. And I was like, can you give me a spot? And they just some some people just would they would ignore me. They would ignore me. Like people that I've spoke to for years just yeah. would be like ignore me because like, I had such a I didn't have a great finish. And it just put it in perspective. Like there's not a lot of friendships in this is as you think there's a few obviously that you've your friends for a long time and obviously that just that just like put it in my mind to like listen stop relying on all people to like get you back into this league like essentially when do your best win challenges and then prove that you're good enough to be back in the league that's kind of what the realization that got me through it like i just realized that i need to stop asking for people to like help me out instead of just go, go out and fucking get it pretty much yeah no i, under- I understand that I mean, um, I understand, like, 
Well, I say I understand. Obviously, you know, I, I can't put myself in that position of being a competitor, but I suppose from my, you know, sight of talent and stuff, trying to get into into various yeah. leagues and various works, I can kind of empathise a little bit. Um, yeah. What did you feel? Let's, let's talk about joining the Ravens then, because when you joined the Ravens and become part of the subspot, did you... In, were you sitting there going, how did you feel about actually getting a chance to play this year? Like, how much did you think it would actually happen? Um, honestly, like, I'll be I'll be brutally honest. I, I thought if I was on this the sub bench, I rec- I knew I'd be playing at some point. It's just if like if um I could perform in that space that I was given. But um, honestly, I'm not going to like go into too much detail to why I thought that. Pretty much, the t- I looked at the team. It didn't make a whole lot of sense from knowing all five players. I knew at some point something was going to change. There's a lot of passionate people in the team. I knew something was going to change at one point. And again, it was between me and Madcat, so it was like 50-50. But I re- because of the history I had, with, I had with, the, like, with the guys, I reckon I had a decent chance. So I knew at some point I would have been subbed in or at least played for an event or yeah. whatever. So I knew, I knew that I just had to be ready for that, that chance. Honestly, COVID, I'm being straight up, COVID probably helped me quite a bit. <laughs> Like that, that, it's hard to say. That is honestly, it's hard. It's, it's bad to say. But I got subbed in a day before the Ross, like the borders locked. Right, and not a lot of people know this, but I was only subbed. I was getting subbed in, and then Byron was going to come take my spot. So I came out here to play, and then I was told that Byron is going to come out and play. Oh wow! Right, so I was like, so I flew out here to like help these guys, and I've never been told that. Um. Nasty's going to come in and take my spot, pretty much. Holy crap. And, and the reason that I had to fly out, so I had to, I had to pack up everything I was doing, leave the challenges for a, like, the off chance yeah. that I could play with um, the team. Because Byron, obviously, that it was something to do with visas or something. So there was a chance that he couldn't play. But the whole plan was to take my spot. So I flew out here with the, the slightest chance that I could play in any, any of the matches just to prove myself again. And then I got told that Nasty was taking my spot. And then obviously, because he didn't have a visa... He had to go home because of COVID. He couldn't acquire one straight away, and <laughs> I ended up getting my chance. So a lot of things had to go my way this year. Like it was, it was very. I'm I'm very lucky to be here. Like there was a lot of things that like should have went against me, like like that. Like Byron should have started. He was out. He was out here practicing with the team. Like he should he should have started, but he had to go home because of the visa stuff, and he couldn't get back. Ow. So yeah, it's like it's, it's, a lot of things went right for me to get here, man. It's like I'm I'm grateful. Like. I'm actually just straight up grateful for it. So, how did that? I mean, and I, I say this, you know, with, with respect to the situation. Like, how did that make you feel, though? Saying, you know, admittedly, it's your job, and you have to go out there as a sub and do, and do as you're told. But to come out and move yourself to America, it's no small feat. Yeah. And then for the team to turn around and say, "Hey, so how much did you even play with the team before they decided to say, oh, by the way, Nasty's getting your job'? Like." Um, what, was, it what, was, what actually happened there? It was more like, so I got the call, literally, I, I'm leaving joking, I was in the gym, and right. I'm sitting there in the gym, and I get a call off Switz, obviously, the GM, and he's like, listen, I need you out here in a few days, and I was like, what? He's like, there's a <laughs> chance, because Byron was number one, like, he, they wanted Byron, they were, yeah. playing from, they were playing with Byron from back in the UK, they were scrimming with him late on the UK and stuff, okay. so they wanted Byron, but they said to me that I, I have to come out in the, in the off chance that Byron can't play. Okay. So I'm like, okay, so you want me to get up and move all my shit across the across the world to America with the chance that I might not even play, and then I'm getting told the the borders are getting locked down. So if I don't leave in the next few days, when I was not prepared, then I had <laughs> because of obviously COVID, then I had to be there. And even at that, there was a chance I couldn't get in. 
And um, I was lucky enough to get in the board. Or the guy actually said to me, you're probably the last day of people getting in. And I was like, fucking hell. Like, everything was just going my way. Like, I just, I put, like, the last five months, it was like they were just telling me, like, you've been through enough of this shit, right? You're getting, <laughs> you're getting, a, you're getting some luck. You're getting some luck coming your way. You get, like, a few things went my way and then I ended up getting on the starting team and everyone was enjoying what I was bringing to the team and the, effort, like, and the work ethic and stuff. So, I mean, it just went well from there. That's insane, man. Like, imagine, I can't even imagine going, right, because obviously, you know, people going, oh, maybe haven't realized the context of this, but it's not just going over for a holiday. This is saying goodbye to your family and friends. I don't know when I'll be back. I've got to move enough to, to live over there in a couple of days, what I can cram into suitcases and how many suitcases I take. And, and that, and that, and the worst part is you have to explain to people, by the way, I'm going to America to play. And they're probably like, oh, okay, I understand. Right? You, have to, you have to do this. And then you go, but I might not. Right? I might not yeah. play. I've just got to go over and hope and then- for the best. Yeah, and then I might not even be able to come home straight away because of the whole lock- yeah. whole lockdown situation. So I was like, I'm going to be out here on lockdown. And obviously, I was shared, like, Byron was, like, nasty. was, like, you've probably seen my streams when I was playing the Hardpoint Challenge and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and all that. Byron was behind me playing. So he was, like, scrimming in my apartment. And I'm hearing them <laughs> scrim every time I wake up. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that's just rubbing salt in the wind, isn't it? It's like, yeah. just hearing them scrim. And I'm like, that could be mean. And I flew out here. And so, I, like I said, I just grinded the... As much as I could, I was playing those hard point chows every day, all day. Fucking everyone was loving it. It was good. So I, I think that's where I kind of my stock started getting a little bit better when people actually saw me playing against the best players in the game, like quite frequently. So I think that helped a lot, to be fair. No, I fully, like I said, I can't even imagine that scenario, man. I think that's like one of the people haven't really spoke about is, you know, you had to have all these all these conversations um, from like I'm sure you had to tell your parents, and you had to tell your friends, and just be like, "Yo, I might be going out there to be alone for, for six months. I might be out there. I might not be playing, and then I can't come home anyway." Um, so yeah, I, I will have. See I'll see, yeah, I'll see you on a Zoom call at some point, um, <laughs> and I just sit here and, and don't do an awful lot. And I said there is an isolation factor to it that if it had gone wrong, Shawnee, that you would have been sitting in America you know, twiddling your thumbs, going, yeah. oh, God, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm sitting here as a sub. I can't even now play in the EU challenges. Yeah. Because, you know, so, that team's gone. I've got to ditch them. Yeah, so I had to leave my actual team and told... Like, so they, that, they didn't even know, like, obviously, what was happening. So I could have, like... There's a, obviously, there's an off chance I could have come back, but, like, I, when lockdown happened, it was, I'm pretty sure you couldn't. But they were just sitting waiting, like, waiting for me... To know what's happening, I'm like, boys, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know. <laughs> like, I, I just been told that I might be able to play, so fly out to America. I was like, right, okay, I'm doing it. Like, so yeah, I just took that slim chance, and it, it just worked out, man. Like, it could have so, it could have so easily went the other way. Yeah. So easily went the other way. I could have been sitting here. Byron could have still been sitting there playing fucking scrims and champs, and he could have been the one fucking playing well and shit. And it yeah. obviously, this is honestly one of the better scenarios for me. Like, from how the year started, this is one of like the fucking better end of the spectrum like because after yeah. last year because a lot of things had to go my way this year man like shit <laughs> that's one of the few <laughs> things i brought that's one of the few main things i brought up but a few like quite a lot of it was against me this year oh i have no doubt i have no doubt like i said i can only imagine um let's talk about you actually being in the team then and the first kind of interaction because here's the thing you obviously know the players like you know the guys you've, you've been around europe for a while you, you obviously have you know, played with them and all sorts of stuff. But what was it like actually getting involved and becoming an actual Raven? Like one of the five, you're in the first couple of scrims. What was the team dynamic like, the attitude, like everything, obviously. It's a little bit different because of COVID, but I'm very curious to see what your first impressions of actually um, getting to work was. 
it was like it was um it was really good for us because we I came in and like, they were doing well in scrims, and uh, I came in and we done we done just as good if if not even better. And uh, like our practice for the next two months from there with George was like unreal. Like we we barely lost any practice. We played a lot of like obviously S and D practices and like challenges like best of nines against teams. And we never lost them. We beat we beat Phase and we beat like we beat Chicago in them. We'd beat everyone in scrims, but then we'd go to the events and just fall short, like to like yeah. Chicago and Phase again. So like it was, it was good because obviously scrims were going well. Everyone was happy, but it just every time we got to the event, it just fell short. We just didn't close out that map, or there was like there's always a three one loss, or we won an S and D and just choked this, choked that, and just so like it was good, but at the same time it was like it was stressful when you're not performing. Was that was that like was that frustration coming out behind the scenes? Like, obviously you've rejoined and it's good vibes. It's a lot of time it is good vibes when a new player comes yeah, in. Yeah, but then for that not to convert into placements and the community to probably, if I'm being honest, you know, be underwhelmed um, because obviously the Ravens does have a fanatical support system. They are the UK's team, so you're always going to be under the spotlight, especially from the UK. Yeah. Um, did that ever take a toll on the team, like behind the scenes, or get frustrated before before even the Jerd chain came in? Uh, I don't think we'd like get frustrated by like obviously supporters tweeting us and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, we were getting. I'd say I was getting a, quite a bit of hate at the start when I first joined because obviously we weren't we weren't winning. <coughs> Pardon me. And um, yeah, it's like it doesn't really get to us. Like I don't think it gets to much people. I think if it, if you let it get to you, then you've kind of already lost. You know what I mean? If you let like people's hating on you and giving you shit on Twitter, you kind of already lost at that point. You may as well back in. <laughs> it's like it's just Twitter. It's like people are sh- showing you their opinions. It doesn't really matter. You know how good you are. Like we know how good we were. It was frustrating we weren't getting the results. That's why obviously it, it prompts a change because you give it a few chances. You know how good the team is. It doesn't work. You're like, right, okay, we need to make a change or we or, like, or, or we stick it out. And it's after a few events and the same stuff's happening over and over again. You're like something's clearly not working here. We've tried to change some things up. It's not working. And then you decide that you want to, you want to like make a change. And then obviously everyone's tweeting you shit, essentially, on, on Twitter before you even make the change because you're not winning. And then uh, we get zero in and it was, I said, I think the first event, we got them in for like four days. We had four days practice and then we came second. Like, um, it was just the right, it, it gave a good balance to the team. Like, Trey was a great player for us. Like, he, he brought a great balance to the team. So, so ever since he came in, it's funny that, funny enough, the practice with Jod was better. We won way more <laughs> practice. We won nearly every set of practice with Jod. But then with Trey, we we lost a good amount of practice. We, we had some stressful times getting <laughs> rinsed. We were getting rinsed by FaZe sometimes. Oh, that's Dallas. the worst. Well, but then we just went to the event. Like, that, that, the four days when we came second, the scrims were good. Okay. I, it was good then. But like, after that, the next few months, like we just kept losing scrims. We just were just shit in practice. We just couldn't We couldn't do it. And then we just got to events and we were like 50-50. And then leading up to champs, we just knew that we were getting better. Like Honestly, that meta where like, it was two ARs. Yeah. It suited us so well, and it just helped us a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, I uh, yeah, yeah. That, that speaks for itself in terms of the results and stuff that ended up coming towards the end of the season. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on it, but that Jer change, it, it for the community, it came out of nowhere. And I think half of the problem is obviously Jer doesn't tweet anything ever, <laughs> so it's like he just he just he goes into work and just doesn't do anything else. That's it. Like you don't get to see him, nothing, and it just it just happened. Um. Was that like, obviously, you know, you've come into this team and you've had a couple of months with that, them and then that happened. Are you sitting there going, oh, oh God, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next now. We've got to get a replacement for Joe. 
Uh, oh. I sort of get a replacement for Jerd. You know, sorry, just in the chat. Uh, you got your replacement for Jerd. Were you sitting there going, I wonder if the team dynamics going to change? Who can we get? Like, how did that yeah. situation all go down? <laughs> um, I think this is, I'm allowed to say this, but I don't think it changes much. Um, we, we were trying to get Mad Cat in the team. <laughs> we actually got Mad Cat a flight out here. Okay. And then um, he got turned away at the border. I heard about this. I did hear about this. <laughs> yeah, so he got turned away. So he was going to be in because we didn't even think of trade at the time. We were thinking, like, who's available? And then obviously with COVID, like obviously buying someone out for 200, 300k just wasn't an option. So like we were like, right, okay. So yeah, we can't get a European amateur because you can't fly out here. And get a visa. Yeah, and get a visa. So we need to look at Americans. There wasn't a lot of on offer. And then I can't remember the situation. It was like, well, we either play... It was like, get Mad Cat out. I was a big advocate. I think Mad Cat was pretty solid when I played with him. Uh, he ran a sub and he was pretty solid. I was like, we should get Mad Cat. It's just, he seems like the best option. He's on his sub bench. That's what he's there for. Give him the chance. Same as me. Blah, blah, blah. Comes out here, gets stopped at the border. And we're like, shit, right. We need to rethink. <laughs> we need to really rethink what we're doing. And eventually, it came and landed on Trey. And we were like, yeah, why the fuck we not think of Trey before? Yeah. Like, the guy's an MVP. Do you know what I mean? He's obviously, he's, the guy's got, got it in his locker, like, but easily. Like, why have we not thought of him and then they got him in and it just went up, kind of went up from there. So it was a stre- it was a stressful time, but like again, it could have it could have easily could have easily went another way and my cat could have got in. Yeah, I think because I think I've mentioned it before, but people don't realize that story that my cat very well could have been on that first slot this year. And I think I, I mentioned it because people were trashing him on Reddit, and I was like, I'm not having this. Like, you guys have no idea he is solid. He could have very well been playing for the Ravens. Like, he's on this up bench anyway. Um, you say. You know, Trey came in. Obviously, there was a whole situation with Trey in New York, and I still don't really understand what happened in there. And I'm sure Trey will bring it up himself. Um, but when he when he came over, how was the vibes? You know, with Trey coming in for the first time, because you said the first event went well. We were all starting to think, you know, this is it. This is we are now a competitive team. Yeah. We can take on the big boys. Yeah. So what, what the meta at the time was the auto, auto tax sprint fight four sub meta yeah. one AR. So obviously we got Trey in, added just an extra like big slayer on the team, and he was going off, and we were playing better as a team, and we were like, yes, right, he was finally there, we're in a good spot, and then boom, day after, yeah, we're banning, we're G in the auto tax sprint, which was a big thing in the game. Like it changed a lot of timings, it changed a lot of play styles, it made it easier for like obviously I'm not a movement based player, but did it make it easier for us to like slide cancel and stuff like your shots and Dylan and all that shit <laughs> like obviously we're not all like them so like obviously that helped a lot of players in the movement aspect and obviously it helped it helped us a lot our pacing was great everything and then boom it's just like that we had to take it off and it was like resetting again it was like um everyone just reset and learn like, like not learn but like get used to not using tax sprint again and it and again that that hit us pretty bad i think if that was if that tax sprint was in the whole game i reckon we won one of those events like i'm not we nearly beat Chicago in that final, and it was like one point of domination. And like, I don't know. I feel like that 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 hurt us again. But then we just the next few months practice didn't go as well. We were losing scrims and stuff. And then yeah, as soon as again the meta changed again, it gave us two ARs and it was back in our favor. Like it was like me running an AR just made sense for us. And um, yes, yeah, like, honestly, meta change is such a big thing in COD. People don't realize how big it is for players. No, I, I, I fully agree. I mean, I made videos about uh, and talked about the GA situation. Right? I don't know if, if, you know, at least from my perspective, I don't think GAs were done in the best possible way this year. Because um, oh, it's, a, it's a long story, but like I think a lot of weird stuff happened. But, you know, I understand the meta shifts 
meaning an awful lot for some teams. And I think that's where the problem comes in is that some teams would be like, hey, we GA something, then they might benefit us as a team. So it's hard to be objective yeah. in those regards, right? Um, I love auto attack sprint, by the way, just so we're clear on this. <laughs> as a non-competitor, saved my thumb and thumbstick a million yeah. times, but I can understand why it changed the movement aspects of the game. Um, People were trying to like, kill our thumbs off. That's what it was. Our yeah. thumbs were getting tortured this year. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's a uh, it's an interesting game. I've always said, you know, no matter how slow a game looks at the beginning, you can guarantee the pros are going to ramp it up to its yeah. absolute maximum <laughs> tempo possible by the end of the year, regardless. Um, always the same. Always yeah, the same. It, it it really is. Let's talk about then that period after that first second place with with Trey and the roster because it didn't go as well as you would probably have liked moving forward towards champs to the point where, and you know, I'll hold my hands up, criticise-wise, I, I wasn't sure you guys were any more than the mid-table team. Um, what happened on the run-up to champs in the, like, the next three months or whatever it is? Um, well, the, so we played Paris at, was it, was it London homestand? I think it was a London homestand where we like, lost to them in that semis. Yeah. <laughs> right, obviously, that was a big hit. We weren't. We were feeling good. Like that event, even though like the Florida game that they severely outslayed us like, a lot, and we just like clutched up. But we were feeling good going into that event. That was like the first two ER meter, I think, the first event for it. And like we were gassing. Like scrims were actually going. Actually, felt like the scrims were actually going well leading up to that event. We were looking good. We were feeling good. And then we got to Paris. A fucking nemesis, man. Every time we played them, it was so hard. But everyone else just dealt with them. But we just couldn't deal with. We just couldn't beat them. Well, at that event, we couldn't anyway. Like we just, we took, we completely dominated the game, and they just, they clutched up, same as what we done to Florida, and then they, what they um, beat us in that at our own homestand to go into a final. So we were like, shit, right? we've got a month left. We need to fucking, you know, I mean, we need to get our heads down. Like we need to get better. We can't be, we can't be in a situation where we can lose to Paris again. No disrespect to Paris, they just they won the best team this year. Yeah. And um, yeah, we just like we had to, we had to like figure out our search and destroy. I've said it a lot. Like, our search and destroy was key. Like, Searching is always so key in this game. It's um that was like one of our main focuses, I reckon. I feel like going into champs was I kept gassing out. We kept I was thinking of little new strats and different maps. I was like I going I over forwards and looking for different stuff to do, like just so we had more options on the map. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so. I, I think feel that's like a big the reason. the Ravens' S and D suffered like at the midway point of the year. It was really weird. Like there was this point. I remember like distinct periods of. There was all this because Wusk obviously had his his heyday with the sniper rifle. You know, he was getting an awful lot of first bloods and it was looking great. And then if I remember looking at the stats, it kind of fell off a cliff for London in -hmm. terms of like you guys all of a sudden Piccadilly was just not your map. You kept losing it. And obviously you kind of wanted to to buy into it because at one point it was a very good map for the Ravens. Like how devastating is that to a team to realize, you know, that you can actually physically see a dip in performance on a specific game mode and recovering from it. So, that's actually it's a good question to be fair because when, like you said, the Piccadilly thing, we we tried it like six times, like five times. We just kept losing it. It didn't yeah. matter who played, didn't matter. What we figured out is basically no one was giving Brad a pick. Everyone knew that Brad had like six spots in the map where he would go to try and get a kill and it worked pretty well on that map and then people just realised like, hey, if we don't give this guy this pick and we just stack this bomb site with a couple subs, then they have to rush us. And then people just kept doing it to us, and I think they just they counted us very well. So we kind of went back, and we were like, right, we can't play that map anymore. But then the next event, we played that map. And then that was the last straw. We were like, I think all of us just said, we're not playing that map ever again. I don't care. I don't care if we're playing some other map. I don't care. Like If it comes down to it, we're not playing Piccadilly. So we kind of got rid of it, and we said, right, if we're not going to play Piccadilly, 
we need to get another map that we're good at. Yeah. And that's when we suggested like Ramaza. We were like, we should try Ramaza because that I, I was my best map. And I've told I told them all that before when I joined. Yeah. I brought I brought like, quite a lot of strats to the the game, like the the S and D game when I came over from the amateur team. But they just didn't like the map. They, they didn't have any success on it. They didn't like it. They didn't want to play it. And I was like, that's fair enough. I like the other maps as well. That's fine. But then it got to the point where Piccadilly just wasn't working. And we were like, let's just try Ramaza. Like, let's just try it. There's no harm in trying it against someone. And then um, it was going good in practice. Like, we had some strats that were working. And then, yeah, like, started playing it. And then it was pretty solid for us. I think we won, like, three times in a row. Then lost it to Chicago at Champs. And I think that's, that was a big... Honestly, the vetoes, like, just picking different maps helped us a lot. Like, <laughs> people don't realise how big that was. Like, we didn't play Ramaza, like, the whole year on Hardpoint or S&D. And then... Obviously, shit. People start counting on us. You start losing your good maps, and you're like, right, okay, we need to expand. So then the coaches pretty much told us, you need to get better at Ramaza, like Hardpoint, for the veto system, yeah. in which we went away, we fixed Ramaza Hardpoint, we got better Ramaza S&D, and it gave us a lot of leeway in the vetoes, and it helped us pick the maps we wanted to play. That's, um, re- so. that's actually really good to hear, because it's something that I've spoke about at length saying look having a deeper map pool is always a good thing because if you ever get against a team who are just better than you on a map you regularly pick you're going to be in serious trouble and it looks like a textbook example of what happened with the ravens right piccadilly everyone adapted because they knew how obviously when when waskins does that kind of performance on the map everybody pays attention and goes hey no more of this do not give him a pick um fell apart and obviously you guys right we have to deepen the map pool and it worked out, right? Like, all of a sudden, your results started getting better, your stats started getting better. And it's great to see, I think, that a team can do that that late in the season. Because, obviously, you've been practicing. The amount of hours pros put in to practicing these maps, and when you know that you're going to veto something, I imagine, you know, just human nature, players go a little bit less hard on it because they're yeah. like, oh, well, we're never going to play it anyway. Uh, and then you guys were up against it, right? You know, that's that's mad for me to go, right, oh, well, look, we're clearly getting smashed here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have to do something. Uh, and obviously that was the birth of Construction Shawnee, right? That is... That's pretty much, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much, we just played it. That was the time we decided to play it. It was against Minnesota last map. And it was like, I just, I played it in myself pretty much. And they just kept coming in. I just kept clutching. But like, I just, I, I, I enjoyed that map. I was good at the map. I just understood the map pretty well and I was like I said I just I was pushing for it like for a bit to play it but obviously again they weren't they weren't great at the map so like nah nah just we'll keep playing Piccadilly Brad will snipe blah blah and then eventually we were like right as shit <laughs> not working so let's just go on construction and boom I just that was it we just we just smashed the map and we just kept picking it it was the same with Ramazza Rama, uh, Hallpoint this is like I think it was Shane and Dom that was saying this it was like because of the veto system being good at Gunrunner and Ramazza and Cave is like so important because if you get the coin toss, then obviously you can put them on a, a Hackney hardpoint and you can have good side and you can have your good map and Ramaza or Gunrunner first. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like they kept stressing, like, you're good at Gunrunner, you're good at Cave, but it's not good enough. You need to be good at Ramaza. Like, we don't care about the all two maps. Like, you're going to have good side regardless if you if we pick it. If they pick it, sorry. Like, yeah. we need to get good at Ramaza because it's not side dependent. So we heavily focused on it and we we actually went back and we kept, we watched VOD on it. Like, we were having some heated arguments on the map because we were shit at Ramazza Hardpoint. We were, we, that was our worst map at some point. And Trey tra- tra- in the chat, he can attest that we were dog shit at that map. Like, every hill we'd rotate broke. We'd just get 100 point clubs <laughs> and we're like, shit, right? we can't play this map. Like, and then it got to the point where like the coaches literally were like, well, if you don't get better at this map, your vetoes are going to be hard. Like, yeah. We're going to get we're going to get some maps we don't want to play against some teams that are good at the maps. And we were like, so we eventually 
we um, went back and looked at the actual scrims, like a few scrims back to back and seeing what, what was actually going wrong. And it turned out a big reason was just P2. For, for some oh, reason, right. one of the easiest hillers in the game, we just couldn't hold P2. So then we finally, we went in depth and we fixed it. We fixed P2 and honestly, as soon as we fixed P2 and Ramaza, ask anyone in the team, it's like a flip, like the switch just flipped and we, every hill we were on real at. We're rotating early, getting scrap, and we just turned into one of the best teams in the game on the map. We beat everyone on it. We beat New York, who played it all the time. We beat Chicago on it. We beat Paris. Like we beat everyone who played that map on it, and it was it, it made it easy for us because they were picking the map sometimes. Okay. So like changing your vetoes up is so important during the season. It's like you said, it's so important. I mean, I feel like you're now just teaching the other franchises of how they should conduct themselves. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I agree with everything you've been saying because it's it's been something very close to me and saying, you know, this veto system does matter. And for casuals who don't understand it, there is this incredible tactical depth to it because yeah. you are right. You do not want to play maps that people can be better at you. Because somebody, here's, here's one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard about the veto system, by the way. And, it, and, it, and your points entirely smash it to bits. People say, oh, if you're the best team in the game, you should just be, be the best at every map. Well, clearly, that's not... It's impossible, right? It's impossible to be the best team at every map unless you're literally godlike and play perfect Call of Duty. It's just not how it works. You know, you've got player mechanics, you've got, you know, the chemistry, how you guys break that map down. Like you said, you know, Trey was against it from to begin with and you were a big advocate from it. That's two different opinions in the same team, which means that... At some point, you may not be good at the map because somebody doesn't like it. So, yeah, I honestly, Shawnee, that, that story there is is fantastic. And I really hope people take away from, you know, that is why VOs are important and, and people need to play different maps, you know, because it is a very tactical thing getting those VOs in, especially this year. Yeah, it's like, the, the best way to put it is, like, teams that were good at Arkov, PKS, and D, like, they, for some reason, like, people would choose it against us. Even though we were like on a four win streak, five win streak, bad sniping, he's getting like ten kills or Matty or Dills and all the bottom like on just taking over that bomb set. Like and people just kept playing it because it was their good map and they wouldn't want to play us in Gunrunner. So we had two good maps, Gunrunner and Arklov, right? Yeah. They had to choose between what one they wanted to play. We were way better at Arklov than Gunrunner. But people Gunrunner was more of a it was like a fifty fifty. It was it wasn't like slow tactically moving the map, it was just hit something, get the bomb down or whatever. So people chose to play Arklov more. And if people actually like got better on another S and D map and just banned Arklov against us, we would have lost a lot more search and destroys because at that time we were only good at two of them. At all three, we were not that good at. We were fifty fifty, but like Arklov and Gunrunner, we were solid at. But people kept playing us on it. If people just banned it and made us play Ramaza early or made us play this other map, not Gunrunner, but it's, uh, Petro. If people made us yeah. play Petro or like Ramaza early, they probably would have took more maps off us. But they just kept giving us Arklov. And it was like, we were laughing every time we got it second map. We were just like, ha ha, <laughs> right, okay, right, win this half point with 2-0 up, boys. That's what we would say before the game. We're not even joking. I've, I've heard that comment for a few times. And it, and we were just so confident in map. And people didn't go out and like, get better at all the and destroy maps so they could ban it against us. Obviously, they're not just going to counter us. But you had like a few weeks to prepare for teams. You knew who you were playing in your groups like a week or two before. So you could have done that. But people just didn't do it. So that's a big, that's, yeah. That's mad. Like, like, just thinking about, you know, imagine you never made that Ramaza switch. How how different it would have been, you know, moving forward without that map pool and how much harder your year would have been made. So, you know, you've already said, you know, the team didn't want to do it. And if they hadn't have done it, this could be a very different conversation, Sean. Yeah. It, it genuinely could, right? We could talk about how you guys didn't do well at Champs, how, you know, you might not even be in the team right now if you didn't get to kind of show off on a, on a structured team. Because this is another thing people don't talk about is... If you had a bad finish of the year, Shawnee, 
Londons yeah. may not have picked you up. Even even if you did well, then the t- if the team bombed out champs and came tenth or whatever, they probably wouldn't have you know been as positive towards you and the rest of the uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, um, of course. That, you know, right? And that's that's something that all players are worried about because you can sometimes shine in a bad team like Octane, for instance. You know, people have been gassing him up all year, even though you know Seattle Surge was Last, absolutely yeah. terrible. Um, but that's the exception and not the rule. Usually, you know, we've seen entire rosters drop this year. Just everybody yeah. just getting just getting thrown to the bin. If you haven't won anything, get in the bin. Um, you know, and that and that could have happened. Let's talk about playoffs then, because that was a very interesting one for me because it it was basically your route through playoffs. In my mind, was a very difficult one in the fact that everybody you had to play outside, obviously outside of the big three, were teams around your level and very competitive games and teams that had beaten you before. Right, yeah. I believe if I can't remember the exact thing, wasn't it? And I might got the order wrong. It's Toronto, and then it was either New York or Paris. It's Paris, New yeah. York, and yeah. Toronto. Yeah, so you had to play those four, who yeah. a lot of the time, you know, had beaten you before. New York had, uh, you know, Toronto Ultra won the last home series. Paris had beaten you before. New York, I'm trying to remember the last ones there, but, you know, that's where Trey came from, so there was always going to be a rivalry there. How mad was it seeing that kind of, that, that run for you as a player? As soon as, like, just to, like, Set the set the scene. We literally, as soon as Trey got hit offline, we, yeah. and, we and then we saw that loser bracket run. We were we were like gassed. We were like shit. Right, okay. We we have beat these teams before. We just have to do it again. We, we know we can beat these because we always pride ourselves. Right, we do struggle against the top three this year. This three this this year we did struggle. We were like zero eleven against the top three, which are Dallas, Chicago, and Base. So we only lost like five games. We were like sixteen and five against the lower teams. So against your New York, your Toronto's, Paris, Optic, LAG, everyone, we were like sixteen and five in, in map in the series. I think it's something like that. Don't quote me, but it's it was nearly triple positive anyway. And um, we were like, right, okay, we've we beat all these teams way more than they beat us. We just had to do it again. So Paris, Paris was the biggest one, man. Like as soon as we beat, beat we beat Paris, that was it. We just knew that it was um it was on it was on us now. Because Paris is our nemesis, man. Like I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Like they, obviously, other teams obviously saw them as a free win again. That the way I like the guys in that team. So the way, yeah. But um, we for some reason seen them as a fucking phase. <laughs> we seen them as the phase. We were like they were like the slow phase who just didn't move and just knew what we were doing and counted us. And we were like shit. Right, okay. We just been booted offline against Toronto. We obviously wanted to beat them because Methods was chatting some shit as well against us. Yeah. And um, he was actually calling us like Paris. He said we were like Paris. You know, we were roasting him saying we ain't like Paris. So then I remember we that, lose to, yeah. that kicked off just four champs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we lose to Toronto after that. Obviously, we hit, not really a loss, but so that that obviously pissed us off. And then we're actually playing Paris first round after Methods just gassing about us being like Paris, and yeah. we were like calling Paris shit. We were calling Paris shit, and we were going to that first game of losers champs against Paris, and they just beat us at last event. We were like, fucking hell, right? <laughs> we all know deep down if we get through this game, there's a good chance we qualify. So then we yeah. we actually done it pretty cleanly. I think it was like three one, pretty clean. And then the New York game, Jesus man, that was a that was a fucking roller coaster, man. I think we were one we went one up, but then lost our club S and D. The the map that we gassed about, so <laughs> the map that we gassed about was so hard yeah. we lost it at champs in the loser bracket. So and then the double Ramaz at the end just came in again. Yeah, it actually uh, <laughs> saved us. It really did. Like I said, for me, you know, when I when I tend to judge teams and and, and go through, I always say, look. Regardless of what I think of the players, because I, I speak to an awful lot of players outside of it, I said I have to go with my head and the numbers and all that sort of stuff. And that, in my opinion, 
was not an easy run for you guys. I, I wasn't fully confident in you guys making it, you know? Like I said, Toronto are always going to be a big roadblock. Paris, New York, not terrible teams. Like, these are teams that could easily... <laughs> You could easily beat or easily lose against, and it was. They were, it they were was... both. Um, they were both on form. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Just like, they, were, they were both on form. Like Toronto and New York just won a home series, their own home series to be exact. Yeah. They beat both of them. Toronto didn't beat us, but um, New York beat us at their own home series to win it, and they beat like they beat Phase of Dallas or whatever it was. So like, they they weren't no fucking easy games. Like when we beat them before that, we beat them before they were champions. Like yeah. we we beat them when they were trying to get a chip. Like so, obviously it was it made it even harder. They've proved that they can beat the top three teams, but we just knew, man. We we knew that against these teams, we were we just didn't we didn't lose very often, like in scrims and challenges, whatever. Like we just didn't really lose to the teams that were below us. But when it, like I said, we're like zero and eleven against the top three. Like it speaks for itself. Like we were the we were literally the whole year we deserved to be fourth, fourth, fifth. Like it's we couldn't beat the top three teams. We know that and. But we beat everyone else below us, so that's kind of all that matters for us, right? We we know those top three teams were better on us towards the back end of the year. We could have done something, but it didn't. So yeah. now I, I I see that. Let's talk about the Toronto rematch because there is a big difference from placings from if you lost that game. Uh, from essentially that was a qualifications for the actual champs, right? Yeah. That is, I'm getting to the new champs format. I'm getting to the next weekend. We get to play again, and our year isn't over. After losing to them and then being homestand champions and all the Twitter beef and the social stuff that went on, um, what were the feelings in the London camp going into that rematch? Honestly, after that, after that game five, like against um, New York, yeah, it was like it was like we just blew them out. It was like six one. We just blew them out, and it was <laughs> like just everyone was gassed. We were just like. You were so gassy in the next game. Honestly, it's such a blur. Like I can't even remember. Like how long was the gap between us playing New York and Toronto? Oh, I honestly. I feel, I feel like it was. <laughs> yeah, I feel. I feel like it was like an hour max. I feel we went in the dorms room, the coaches room. We done interviews. I think it was me done an interview. Yeah. I think I done it. Yeah, I done an interview, and I came in and had some food. And I think it was like twenty minutes later. They're like, yeah, you need to go and warm up for Toronto. And I'm like, fucking out. Let's go. Like, I was gassed. I just came off a <laughs> Unreal game five. We just. I played well, fucking. We all played well as a team in the whole series. Like I was, we we're all gas. We're like, yeah, let's go. Like we just beat New York. Like obviously, they were just, they were a good team. They just came off like a win not long ago. Like we were gas. So like now it's time for Toronto. We're playing well. In the first the first game against Toronto, the first match uh, maps were against Toronto. I don't even know what the first map was. <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> wait, what was the first map? Oh my oh, god! I'd have to go back and look at it. If gun one yeah, it was gun one We lost gun one Literally, I think it was like two fifty to two forty. So granted that, granted that rematch, it was like we were so gassed and we got shut down on the first map. It was like two fifty, like two forty. It was a P two on Gun Run on. We're like, oh, it was like it was it was so sad. We should have won it, but we choked it. And then again, we just showed how resilient we are. And we bounced back and won three in a row. So, yeah, yeah. great series that man. I love that series. It was a great <laughs> series. But beating Cammy as well, beating all those Scotsmen. I mean that. I mean that must have been. I don't even know what like this because here's the thing, right? There is this thing where, as a professional player, if you don't win the event, you always feel like you've lost, right? Obviously, yeah. as an outsider perspective and the community, every step you take as a player and as a team is something to be celebrated, right? The Ravens fans were probably gassed you guys got in a championship Sunday. Yeah. You guys were... I, was there like a, a bit of a celebration or a, you know, good shit, guys, we've done a really good job, or a debrief? Like, after that, holy shit, we made it to champs. Honestly, I think um, we we did celebrate a little bit, not nothing too much, just like a little. I think a few of us had a few drinks and just chilled and had a, like 
just talked about the the win and stuff like that. And um, honestly, it was just it was dreading another week of practice. To be fair, <laughs> like <laughs> like no no roasting. I didn't mind the game that bad. Right, again, I'm not going to do any of that that topic. But it was another week, and we had to like we went from scrimming every like, twelve teams to scrimming the teams that were going to be playing. So we had to play Dallas in in phase every day. Wow. Every day we had to play them on twelve hertz on some host. Like oh my god. It was so stressful. You don't understand. Like anyone who's not them two teams know how hard it is to play against them two in scrims. It was so hard, and we had to do it for a week. And then, and then we um we played arms like one of that. We played one of the arm teams for a day. Yeah. And it was just just as bad. Obviously, they were going hard, but like it was not good practice. Was, uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't the best practice leading up to the event. Let's just say that because like bro, we had to play phase in Dallas constantly a week straight like it was on 12 like 12 hertz and 60 hertz is a different ball game man 12 hertz they were they were like the demons man they were just <laughs> they were like if you've seen a bz on 12 hertz man he was slay canceling you're gone you, you don't get a chance like on 12 hertz man like you don't understand how stressful that was <laughs> that's fair enough i obviously that i mean i probably wouldn't notice anywhere I'm, I'm way too old <laughs> um but let's uh let's talk about going into champs then uh top four Big achievement for the London Royal Ravens, in my opinion, and certain amounts of the community. You know, you guys had, you know, like you said, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a bit of a rough year for the London franchise. Mm. Um, you go into it, you're facing Chicago. You've obviously got a week to prep for this game. Very important game to get that out of the gate. Obviously, there is no easy wins for you anywhere because you're facing against the top three who you've got a bad yeah. roster against. What was the preparation against them like? Like, how do you prepare for a team like that? Um... Honestly, the best you can like, we're, like we're looking at the Beatles and we're thinking like, what's the best maps to play? And obviously, we didn't change too much in the Beatles because they liked Ramaza, we liked Ramaza. Uh, that was hard point, so we actually won the first one. So that worked out well for us. But it was it was search and destroy, man. It was try to like make sure we didn't lose that set and search and destroy, which obviously didn't go away. But um, yeah, that was like the main prep was trying to make sure like that second map. We didn't know what it was going to be if it was going to be Ramaza or. Is it Gunrunner they're good at? I think it was Gunrunner. It was either Ramazza or Gunrunner. I mean, obviously, we were happy to play either. And um, so we were, we were like, we've got good Beatles for this game. That like, We have a good chance that our Beatles are going to be solid. We're going to have Ramazza Hardpoint, most likely first map. And we're going to have one of our good S&D second map. So we were like, okay, if we go 2-0 up here, we have a good chance of winning. And then it was it was just, yeah. And that's it, the Ramazza S&D. They just, no joke, man. I was saying it during the game. I was like, they're just not coming in, man. Like, I'm not, even, I'm not, not even for the meme purposes. Just, they just weren't coming in. They just kept sitting back and going B or sitting back and then going mid. I was just like, right, okay, let me go flank again. Right, okay, let me go do this. It was just oh, that game. We done a lot of prep for that game, and it's just I think they just they done more. I think they just done. I think they just whatever they went over just worked better than us in that map. I think it was like a six four loss or something. But well, that was what I was going to ask you. What do you think went wrong during that Chicago game? Um, like in your perspective, anyway. Obviously, you've already said about the the not going a Ramaza. Is there anything else you kind of highlight and going? Oh shit! Either they've done something different, or we struggled on on certain aspects. Um, it's like I was saying a lot. Man. Our S and D was our saving grace, and they just again they just counted us hard. Like they just knew that um, we were very, like our defense is pretty solid across the board in that map. Like if they yeah. went B usually like Matt and I would shut it like Matt and Dell played that thing with Brad, they would shut it down and like if they came out shut it down. But they just changed it up. They were like got they were playing slow and then they were going through they were working through mid and getting behind us and making us guess too much, like and rotating early and stuff. They they just made us think way more than what other teams did. Our teams usually would just hit A or hit B and we'd be like, right, okay, we know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Let's do this play, let's do this play, let's do this play. But what they were doing was sitting back and making us rotate 
bottom side because obviously if I'm here and they're going B and then I go to rotate and then they catch me rotating it's a big kill they just go plan A so like they were doing that quite a lot and they caught me out a few times so then that's when I just they made me play scared in construction because like if I left the, the construction part of the map then there's a good chance I was getting killed or they were playing for it so they just they just played it well man I don't know they just, they actually just did counter as well so I mean fair play to them and then we're going into a domination <laughs> That, no. speak, that, speak, that speaks for itself. Like, what is it wrong got... with London's domination, by the way? Like, Let's, like I think Krim, even Krim gave us some props. Like, we were the best petrol dom team in the game. Like, you don't understand. In scrims, we lost it like twice, I reckon, in the whole yeah. year. We literally didn't lose that map. We played Florida on it. We got outside of it, I think, and then that's when Dill went in that mad streak. But we were just so good at that map. But everyone knew it, and everyone hated the map. It was only us, Florida, and Optic that liked it. We played Florida on it. We didn't play Optic. Until like obviously they got better at that map. We were just good at the map that no one liked. <laughs> so everyone, everyone that was good. It was gun. Everyone who liked Gunrunner had it so easy because we were we were like I say fifty fifty in Gunrunner. We were definitely like thirty seventy. <laughs> like we thirty percent chance of winning like in that map. It got to the point where Dylan was asking for trophies, and I was like, "You want trophies on this map?" And then he's like, "Yeah, sure. Just give me the trophy, please." And I was like, "Right, you have the trophy. I'll take this. I'll put a sub on and run dead silence." And then it started getting better. That's that's when we beat Toronto. And then we had a decent, a close-ish game against Chicago, but um, it got to that point where, like, Sean, I, I was like, I'm getting a sub out. Like, fuck it. Like, nothing else has gone right. Like, we may as well just try it. Hackney, and then Hackney Yard's a different conversation. That map, oh my god, I can't wait to never see that map again. I can't wait. I don't, I, the fact that I don't need to, like, you can ask Dylan this. Dylan's very, um, he's very passionate in this one. If you actually just ask him about bottom L and Hackney Yard. I reckon you'd have a mental breakdown if you asked him again. He literally just you see always go in there, just throw a smoke and die every time. And they say, you go like 13 and 30 and you just be like, oh, it's happened again. Hold it the cycle. <laughs> like, that map just did not suit us. I don't know what it was. We tried so hard to fix it. I think Trey's in the chat. Like, we tried so hard to fix that map because we knew if we got good at Gunrunner or Hackney, we could have done a lot better. Yeah. But we just couldn't fix it. We don't know what it was. We were watching other teams. We were trying to copy them. But every time we copied them, they just, it wouldn't work. And I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't work for us. Our domination on Hackney was just shocking. So we had to auto veto it, and then people knew our gun runner was iffy. So we were just again. That comes into the vetoes, man. Like we, we were just we had we were crippled in the vetoes. We couldn't do anything. We had to play gun runner or Hackney every time, and um, we weren't that good at it. And it just made our domination look shocking. But it just it was just that them two maps. We we're good at one of them. We just not the one that everyone else liked to play. Yeah. That's, I knew it was bad when even the Ravens' own social media was like memeing your domination. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like it's bad. Yeah, but we yeah. knew it was bad. Yeah, obviously that's one of the things. Like as a team, you're just like, oh crap, we need to win this. But obviously, the thing is, everyone goes, oh, just improve it, just improve it. Every other team is doing the same thing. Like no, it's not like oh, we've just got to do X and and we'll get a better result because every other team is trying to get better at the same time. And unless you know you you manage to nail down and. Make a massive leap because it is a massive leap to to get forward and overtake the other teams. It's just not going to go well for you. Um, but that kind of that kind of sums up your the year for the Ravens. You know, like they they started and everyone was hyped and it had a bit of a rocky middle. But you know, I think in my opinion, it came good at the end. Um, so it's a very interesting kind of time with the Ravens, and I look forward to seeing them again next year. Although I will say, as a UK person and obviously a Europe advocate. If they could stop giving me heart attacks, that would be great, you know? It's very hard to be a European Call of Duty fan, and it has been for the last decade. It has. Um, it has been hard, like, to be... <laughs> like, especially this year as well, with, like, even, like, challenges, like, being able to, like, come out and show up. Like, being a European player and fan right now is pretty tough. We are literally the only... 
team that was like could be supported by that region. I, I, th- I reckon we probably had like French fans, Spanish fans. I reckon yeah. obviously Spanish are probably Toronto on my tongue, but but yeah, we we probably had a lot of fans in Europe because of that because everyone was just back home, stuck there in lockdown, just watching the like London representing the U in the US, and it was. Yeah. It's a good feeling, man. But obviously, there's a lot. Of, there's also a lot of no, a negative negativity that comes with the fans of that as well. No, I 100 percent agree. All right, let's move on then, because I don't want to take you for for several hours in this podcast. Let's talk about Cold War. <laughs> you've got hands on. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think of Cold War? Because you've played it, we've watched it. What are your opinions? All right. So we played it on an alpha on PS4, and it felt nice. It felt smooth. Okay. <laughs> Which is a plus, right? That's that's a big plus to me because MW felt clunky and like choppy and stuff, right? That it felt smooth. It felt like it was well done, <clears throat> and um, I like two of the maps that you've probably seen was Moscow and Miami. I think, I think Miami's like a, uh, might be competitive map. I think Moscow, Moscow looks pretty solid. I feel like it feels like it's going to be a competitive map. I feel like they put a, quite a lot of effort into this because like the, the side cancels was a problem. Like I picked up the controller. No, like Shane was playing for like two hours, and then yeah. he asked John, "Do you want to play something? You're allowed to play on my stream." Because I didn't, I didn't submit my name to play because like, it was quite a short list. Yeah, and um. Shane was like, you can play the mines for a bit. And I, was, I went in into his stream and literally, uh, the first time I played it, I was slide cancelling on like the third life. Because I was so used to MW, I just knew that if I pressed these buttons, it would break the animation and I would be smoking everyone in the lobby. Cause, like, <laughs> so like, I, obviously I'm assuming like Priest and all that, I saw Priest and that doing it as well, so I knew it was possible. And then obviously I picked it up in like 20 seconds and I'm like, right, okay, I figured out how to slide cancel because I was watching Priester. So it was um, the fact that they've addressed that already and they say they're going to fix it. Is a big plus for me because that would honestly be like MWV too. Because you, I was watching it. I think you saw Scump and the, the Tim the Tapman. Like, you see that clip where Tim was losing his head and it showed yeah, like Scump yeah. Scump slide canceling really yeah. quick. And, and on Tim's screen, it was like completely different. Like that that can't happen. And I'm I'm glad that they're part like planning on changing that because that slide is like the fastest speed boost I've seen. It's like an AW dash. That's what oh, it's really? like. It's 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 so fast. If you do it on like a slight ink, like decline, you literally go so fast. So the only, the only good thing I'll say about the slide is that it's not it's not like MW. We can keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It like it slows down. If you do it once, you need to like break for a second and do it again. But um, I'm glad I'm glad that they're deciding to like patch that straight away because that's like a big concern for me. But like I said the fact that they're so hands on with it and um. They, they let the pros play the alpha, and obviously we've gave them some good feedback. Listen, we've already broke the side cancel, fix it. Like, <laughs> so um, good thing to get out uh, early, right? Yeah, it feels good, man. I feel it feels like the the subs. There's a lot of love to the subs in this game. I feel like the subs are pretty op, but they they had the one, they had the two ARs that were pretty good as well. So I feel like it's pretty balanced. I'm hoping in the next game that it, went, it goes back to like a Black Ops Three type of thing where you can use multiple guns. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I, I know a lot of people don't see the competitive side because people have different type of kills and you're not sure what guns are exactly better. But I like the fact that you could have different guns. And I feel like in that game, there's a lot of there's a few submachine guns that were viable, a few ARs, and it, and it didn't even show us all the guns in the game. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a good year, man. I feel like there'll be a lot of diversity in it as well. A lot of tactics. It's going to go down to, like, go down to that. I think that using different guns should be a big thing for next year. But I know people don't like it, so I don't know how it's going to play out. But... I'm hoping so. I think it'll be good for the so. game. I hope so. I like I like a more diverse meta. I always feel like it will usually devolve into a couple of gun meta, but I like the fact that there are sometimes niche guns, right? Guns yeah. that work in certain scenarios, like how close, uh, you know, like close, super close range, like the Spitfire back in the day and all that sort of stuff, right? Those sort of stuff can work, and I like seeing that. 
with the stable gun meta because most of the time pros just get the most efficient weapon and figure it out with that uh, and that's basically it for a good part of the year until it gets patched um all right shawnee let's let's uh, start wrapping this up we're going to do questions from the chat uh, and we'll kind of Oof. rattle through these uh for both of us or whatever do you think it's time for a play union and if so who do you think should be on it i mean i asked for a quick kind of fire question that is not an easy question um, <laughs> yeah shawnee uh, what's your first take on it we won't we won't spend forever right. on it a players union, obviously, I think it's probably a good idea. Like, well, I've honestly, I don't, I'm not looking too much into it, but um, I feel like the more vocal people in the Q and A have to be on it. Like, it, it can't be someone who's not going to say much. Obviously, I feel like it's like Steve Slash is on it. I'm happy, man. That guy knows knows what's good for COD. <laughs> so if he's on it, I'm happy. Like, he knows what's good for Call of Duty and how to make it better competitively. He might be a bit of a whiner sometimes, but he knows what he's talking about. So yeah. if he was on it, that's all it matters to me. He'd, he'd get shit done. So yeah, I mean that's fair. I think. For me, obviously, I've always said I do believe a player association. The players should have a seat at the table to discuss future up-and-coming things yeah. with the game and the franchise and the league. In terms of who's on it, I've always said they're going to need somebody who's able to dedicate time to it. Um, I don't know if that's a player. I think player representatives to the union, absolutely fine, but there should probably be a hierarchy of somebody who can just be voted in and take care of it because yeah. obviously they're going to have to be paid from the players and there's going to have to be some sort of lawyer involved and they're going to have to have spend a lot of their time talking to players and meeting with CDL. A player who's yeah. currently active is not going to be able to do that as consistently as the players would probably like. Yeah. Um, so we'll see about how that. Uh, how do you feel about Control coming back? I'm actually very happy for that. I think Control was like really... It was good for the uh, spectator, like, pers like POV. I feel like um, if it's done right, like attack should be losing and obviously def defense should be easier. And obviously the whole point is like, Come up with strats and ways to play attack. It's like I like the way it's done in Black Ops Four. I think um, it was we just started scratching the surface on like how to play it because obviously we've been playing for certain destroy and hard point for years. We know the ins and outs of how we play those game modes, and we only had one year of control. I feel like it was pretty good. I think people liked it. It was a good swing mode. It was good. It was close. And um, yeah, I feel like um, a second year of control. I think you're going to see it played a lot differently. Okay. Um, Especially in a four v four, I think five v five control is like stack and trade, stack and trade. Like five v five was just stack and trade in general. I think four v four control, you, you don't. It's like one guy can take out two people. Like in five v five, it's not a big deal. You still have three people against four, but taking out two and it's a two v three, it's just it slightly gets uncontrollable. I think four v four control is going to be very interesting. I feel like it's going to be a bit more like just a extended search and destroy rounds. I, I don't think it's going to be like fly, 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 fly. It's four v. I might be overthinking it a bit, but I think before we four, I think stacking trade isn't going to be as effective as it has been the last two years. I feel like it's going to go back to a bit more of way more like I know stacking trades like teamwork, but you know what I mean, like a, a less know, of yeah, less of headbuttonness and get a trade more of baiting and switching and like try like make players make mistakes and stuff. So hopefully it does go down that route. If Treyarch are like going down the route, like they, they want to like make sure that they're banning these glitches and these slide cancels, I feel like it will go down that way. I think they want the game to be slower and more methodical, and I think that's a good way. To, I think that's a good way for it to go, to be honest. But no, I, I agree. I'm really looking forward to seeing. It. I love control. I hate domination. So anything better <laughs> than that is is gonna come come forward for me. I just never thought domination was a great third mode, and I hate the fact we had to do it again. Um, could have been worse. Could have been blitz, but that's about the only thing I can say positive about Dom. Um. Sean needs to visit Dundee in the future, apparently. <laughs> well, to be fair, Bryce, have you, have you heard that um, I think Dundee are making plans to build like a 4,000-seater eSports arena up there? Oh, damn. 
I was mind blowing. I was like, "There's no way they're building it in Dundee, not Glasgow or like Edinburgh." Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no diss to anyone from Dundee. You know, it's just I'm from I'm from Glasgow, and I've never even been to Dundee. Like, if you're in Scotland, you go to like you know the two major cities. No diss, but the fact there's a four thousand esports arena up in Dundee is mental. That we, is like we don't have that many events in the UK as it is. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. I don't know where the business plan came from because esports in Scotland isn't big. I'm happy it's coming because obviously I'd happily like. I'd go there and like push it and like as much as possible. Like I've been yeah. help, been trying to help like some Scottish esports uh, people in, involved in esports. We try to help them like push it out there more because Scotland yeah. is like far behind. And uh, like I said, there's only like two pros and like one coach from Scotland right now, and it's me, Cammy, and Mark. And the rest is English from Europe, pretty much. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think I I love the fact that it's got, they're building a stadium like that in Dundee, and I probably will will visit now because if if that gets built, <laughs> so I'll probably be in Dundee a bit. So yeah, you'll probably see. You'll probably get your chance. That's awesome. That's, that's that is awesome. Uh, next question: What was it about bringing Trey Zero in that had such a big impact? Pace, just straight up pace. That was okay. literally it. Um, not a judge a slow player. Judge more of like a. He, he is slower than Trey. It was more like he was a more shoulder peak, getting full, then make a play. Trey was just like go, go, go. <laughs> like you know, him and Dylan would just be like glue in the map. Dylan was faster, obviously, because it's Dylan, but. It's like, they, like Dylan needed someone who was with him all times, and it it showed like it showed for Trey's benefit and for Dylan's. Like Dylan started playing better, Trey played the unreal sort of points, like because he also had Dylan going in front of him. So like I think it, it worked both ways. I think Dylan was a great entry player, and then when he, when he did when he did go in and get that first kill, I think Trey was a great player to come in, sweep it up, and get a two or three piece. You've seen that a few times. Yeah. I'd just be scrimming or be in a game. Trey would be like, "I've got one, I've got two, I've got three, I've got four. <laughs> I'm like, "All right, I'm like, good shit, man. I'm like, good shit. I'm setting an L." So. Yeah, I think it was just pacing. Dylan just needed someone at the front line helping him pretty much. He was trying to like one v three people. He was too fast, and we, like I said, we we had we we knew our problems. We had to um we had to choose between either getting Rad to speed up, which obviously was didn't make much sense because it's a mania, or get Dylan to slow down. So we we kind of gall- we we landed on Dylan slowing down. Yeah. So um we got him to slow down. We brought Trey in. Trey was pretty fast as it was, and they were kind of at the same level, and um it just worked out. Yeah, like them two were a good partnership, and like running the submachine gun so that's what helped us a lot awesome awesome good to hear that. i think it was a great answer for that one um i see there's a lot of questions in chat by the way so we're not going to go through all of them some of them have already answered some of them don't really make a lot of sense in context so i'll pick out a couple more um let's have a look what was your favorite moment from the 2020 season um beating throttle beating oh, wait, uh, wait i don't know it could be the new york game five I don't know. One of them two take flip the coin. I don't know. Toronto <laughs> one, the New York one. I had like a fifty-fifty series, and then I took hold, and then I smashed the game five. But then in the Toronto game, I was playing pretty well throughout the whole thing, the whole every map. If I was like, it has to be Toronto. It was the best moment. Like we qualified, you know, we qualified for the top four, and we finished. It. I think it was like the petrol hard point, which I was like fucking. I was just laugh. I was telling my team during the game. I was like, "Boys, I'm not missing. We're winning." Like I should just say, I'm, every every fifty fifty, I was winning. I'm like, "Boys, just, I'm killing everything. Just keep going. We're going to win." I just kept gassing it. I was like, "We're winning." I'm screaming during the game, and yeah, it's, it has to be that one. Cause that, that feeling. I, I think I screamed that loud. My voice cracked at one point. I'm not a loud person. I'm not, people <laughs> people would like um probably see me like on stage a lot when I was online. I didn't get up and get gassed. I would be like, "Right, KGG's fist bumps, right, let's go." But for some reason. It just let the fire this year, and it was like whenever I was playing, I was playing it in my setup, and I was playing Toronto, and in that Petro, I remember like running to the last hill, and I was just screaming like, "Fuck!" They were spawning P1, they had to all come through the front door, 
we're like, I'm like, fucking start the... I'm, I'm screaming down the mic, <laughs> screaming how we're winning this. And blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, Tor- I'll say the Toronto game. I've just got okay. the gas again, right? I'll say Toronto. <laughs> Sorry, I just ran- I ranted on there. No, it's good. It's gas. good. I, I love hearing it, man. It's awesome to hear how, you, how, how it kind of felt. It was a great question. That's why I asked. Um, here's another one. And I, I forgot to cover this, actually, when we talked about the Ravens, right? It's not really been spoke about here, but the departure of head coach... Joe Pennington, yeah. how did that affect you and the rest of the roster? Um, it definitely took like a definitely done an impact on us a little bit. Like obviously your head coach leaving, yeah, like the guy who's obviously at the head of everything. But um, honestly, I haven't spoke to Joe too much about it. Yeah. I feel like it was more of a personal thing. Obviously, being in lockdown, having family and stuff back home, and and not it wasn't going too well and stuff. I feel I, honestly I don't want to talk about his business. I just know that he, he felt like that was the best thing to do. Um, but again, I I don't really want to touch on him specifically. That's I just think it, it took a dent in the team, hundred percent. But we bounced back, and I feel I feel like Dom took the role pretty well. He obviously is the head coach now, and I feel like he's the he's a good person for it. He's a pretty um tell you what to do kind of guy. Like, listen, this is what we're doing. I don't really care what you say. They were doing it, so I I, I like that having the head coach. So I feel like it did take a dent losing Joe because he's a, obviously a great call of duty mind. Like, you know, he's just a lot about it, but. I feel like Dom took the role pretty well, and he helped us a lot. So, awesome, right? No, that's fair enough. Like I said, I, f- I forgot to mention that when we covered it earlier, and I thought yeah. I actually brought up by the chat. That was a great one. Um, the rest of these questions, uh, I think, are either too open-ended, or I mean, I don't think Shawnee can really cover them. Like one's asking about the content from the Ravens. Is there going to be more next year? Sorry to tell you this, but Shawnee doesn't do the content for the Ravens. He's just involved in it. Um, yeah. So I appreciate Shawnee. I appreciate so much you coming on, buddy. Like coming to talk about the Ravens and your year. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me as well. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I felt like I was laughing half of this, so <laughs> it was a good, a good podcast. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, any last thing you want to say to the stream or the people listening on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever it is? Um, just thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to my series, like my whole year and my story, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can have a better, uh, even better next year. So. Awesome. Well, I, I hope so too, man. And I'm sure I'll catch up with you again in in, a, in maybe a few months or a little yeah. bit longer to see how you're getting on and, and how the roster's all building out and stuff. So I appreciate it, Shawnee. Thanks for coming on. And thank you to everybody listening to the podcast. And, you know, if you want to see it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. This has been the Brycecast episode nine. I am Bryce. Thank you all for watching. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>